good. Outstanding we got. Wow, I like that. There we go. That's what prayer does. <laughs> um, good to see everyone as we continue in the wonderful book of Psalms. And reminder as we go through this book that we truly get to look at the heart of prayer and the heart of worship as we go through and get to see so many examples of steadfast prayer, steadfast worship, going to the king. And I just think of the time of prayer that we even just got to have as, as a church family. And it was truly, it, it is just such a blessing to come together, go in his presence, and know he's in control. He's on the throne. He's in control. And we can leave it at him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for this time, Lord. And uh, I do just give you such thanksgiving, Lord, for the time of worship and prayer, Father God. Um, it is just so beautiful to see the way you lead your children to pray when we come together, Lord, and to cast cares. And the way your spirit leads prayer, Lord, is just a reminder of your faithfulness, your goodness, your sovereignty. And we just say thank you, Lord. And Father, thank you for this time now that we can delve into your word. And let us focus on you, Lord. Father God, I pray that each and every single person in this place would just be focused on what you have for them, Lord God. That they leave here refined. They leave here with something to pray on, to ponder, to get closer to you, to be who you need them to be, Lord. Because we're made by you and for you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. Now, this past Sunday, we were in John 3, and again, the title of the message was Condition, Consequence, Choice, and we saw that call to be born again. We saw the call to believe. We saw that it's receiving. Otherwise, you're rejecting. Last Wednesday, we looked at Psalm 10, where we were able to do this dive on seeing the condition, what keeps that person from surrender. What keeps it? When we look at all the wickedness going on in the world, when we look at all the sin going on, what is going on? What's, what's wrong? And we saw how big pride is, how pride can keep people in such a clutch. And our charge last week, there were three parts to this. One was to reevaluate how you think of those in sin. Knowing that prideful heart, seeing that prideful heart, how do we then show his grace unto them? And we talked about the Calvary Chapel movement, which is so rooted in that grace. I know the story that's told, I don't think the film got it exactly right, when the feet with the carpet, and they're going to dirty the carpet, those hippies will dirty the carpet. Well, then we get rid of the carpet, because it was about the grace. It was about come as you are, feed the word, the word alone, and let the Spirit do what the Spirit's going to do. So how do we interact with those so embedded in sin? How are we showing the grace? We were also charged to anchor in the word of God. And that keeps coming up. Anchor in the word of God. Focus on the word of God. The word of God alone. His word, his spirit, his way. How are we doing with that? And how are you making sure that in that anchoring you're allowing yourself to know him more. Know his character more. That you can trust him more. And as we anchor, examining those gaps... And specifically, the charge I gave with the gap last week was around the Holy Spirit. How are you doing communing with the person of the Holy Spirit? How are you doing seeking his comfort, seeking his guiding, seeking him helping you understand the word of God more? How are you truly doing with these things, saints? Where do you stand? 
The Psalms, it's a lesson for us. As we go in this, it's, it's the, the hymn book of the early church, we've talked about that, the hymn book for the people of Israel, but it's also like a, a tutorial on how to pray and how to worship. And we also get to see consistency by looking at the Psalms of some individuals as we have seen David many times thus far. And we get to see how his prayer and praise life was. And as we see that, the question I encourage you to ask yourself How am I doing? How is my prayer and praise life? How has it changed since starting the book of Psalms? Are there areas where there was conviction when we looked at Psalm 1 or Psalm 2 and you had that moment, but then you kind of like, okay, I got to keep going on with life. Don't do that. Go back. Are you journaling? Are you tracking? Are you finding a way to prayerfully memorialize your walk with King Jesus? Do it. It's vital so that you can go back in those trials and those things. You have the word of God. And remember, the word reminds us of who he is. And he gives us evidence of who he is in our lives. So I encourage you, find a way to memorialize your walk with King Jesus. Now, last week, again, we looked at this idea of wickedness. And we got to see what is causing the depth of this pride. Now, this week, we're going to attempt four psalms tonight. And in that attempt, I know, um, <laughs> there's a shocker for me too, trust me. It was a wrestle this week in prep. I'm like, Lord, really? How? I, uh, uh. And if we don't get there, that's okay. We'll just stay all night, right? right. Okay. I've got a few rights. But we're going to see how we can navigate various types of trials. Now, we're putting these four psalms together, not because they're shorter psalms, but because In light of where we are in Psalms, in light of where we are in John, in light of the concert even that was just used, it's wild to see the way these four Psalms fit right in to the moment we are in just overall study as a church. The message tonight, I'm calling it Portraits of Battle. And we're going to see in each of these Psalms little portraits of that battle we go through. Again, Psalm 10, we were looking at that heart of the sin. But right now, in these next four, we're going to be looking at different pieces that we as believers relate to. Different trials that we will have to face or different conditions of trials. You might be in one of those conditions tonight and be in that, do I run or do I remain in faith or do I run in fear? which is one we'll see. Now, the exact timing of the Psalms that we're going to be looking at tonight and the events that are taking place, all four are written by David. And it's also going to be fascinating to go through a few of David's Psalms in one sitting and, again, look at the consistency of how he goes before the Lord. He's got a set pattern that we're going to see where he goes with what's going on, he cries out, he pleads his prayer, he looks to the character and faith of God. And in some cases, when it's really bad, he worships. What? Yeah, he worships. Now, the specific time of when these different psalms happen in his life, for each one, there's different speculation. Some will say that it's got to do with when he's in the court of King Saul, and King Saul's jealous and trying to get him. Some will say it has to do with Absalom when all of that rebellion was going on. We've seen both of those encounters. But what we can realize, David faced trials. We know David faced trials. When we go through other portions of scripture, we see that. But in those trials, David turned to the Lord through them always. David rested 
in God's sovereignty. He rested in God's character. He rested in God's grace, mercy, and the evidence of his faithfulness. So as we see that, before we even get into trials, we have to ask ourselves, how do I handle trials? When it comes, when it gets heated, when it gets challenging, how do I handle it? Well, I don't know. Well, am I going to have trials? Context reminder, James chapter 1. And if you want to turn to the book of James, let's just put it in context for the modern believer. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and whenever we read that reminder, insert your name, and that's how you introduce yourself to anybody who meets you. Got it? To the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I will read again. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's a promise. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. We get to ask for that wisdom. We're holding the book that has a lot of wisdom, all the wisdom in it. But let him ask how? In faith. With no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let that that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Double-minded, we're going to even see come up in the Psalms tonight. And as we look at sin, as we look at trials, we're also reminded human nature's just been the same. It's just been the same, the, the same battles, the same situations going on. But we have to set that context for us. We're promised trials, saints, and they're a gift. That's right, they're a gift because he refines us through it. In Hebrews, we're reminded there's going to be chastisement from the Lord. A father loves his child. There's going to be times where it's like, Lord, why? He knows what's best. He's drawing us closer to who he needs us to be because we're made by him and for him. And the other piece for context that I want us to remember, Ephesians 6, we know this verse so well, 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice where that strength is, in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not in be strong in yourself. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And Jasmine's going to now come up and sing the armor of God from VBS last summer. I'm just kidding. But with, uh, I'm going to pay for that later, but with this, we have to remember, we are given the reminder. We have the whole word of God. It's, there's going to be trials, and it's a spiritual battle that we're in. It is a spiritual battle that we are fighting. And last week, when we looked at 1 Peter 5, 8, we were reminded, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the who? Devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We've got an enemy that we're fighting. So all to say, it is a battle. And tonight, through these psalms, we're going to look at portraits of battle. 
we're going to look at different trials that can come through to us. And in God's word, the beautiful thing for us with the whole word of God, there isn't going to be something that you go through that you're not going to be able to find relation in his word. Guaranteed. Try to find something, some feeling that you're having, you'll find it. He tells us in Hebrews, we've got the Savior that can relate. He can sympathize with what we go through. That's why we can boldly go to the throne in prayer. The word gives us all the evidence we need. Now, Psalm 11, when we see that, we're going to see fear versus faith. That's what we're going to be seeing in Psalm 11. We're going to see the desire to run in fear or remain in faith. And that's a trial that we can hit. In Psalm 12, we're going to see the battle of the mind. The mind of man versus the mind of God. Man's words versus God's words. God's word. We're going to see Psalm 13. Strength amidst our state versus strength in the Savior. Strength in the state is going to be that crumbling weakness, whereas strength in the Savior is going to be weakness made strong through him. And then in Psalm 14, we're going to be reminded after looking at these different pockets of trials of the larger battle at hand, the eternal battle. We're going to be reminded of the hopeless soul, the unbelieving, rejecting, unrepentant soul versus the hopeful soul, the saved soul, the born-again soul. These four Psalms are going to hit an array of circumstances that every believer can have to go through at some point, can relate to, might be going through now, trial, struggle. As we go through them, there's also going to be a consistent theme that you're going to see. Turn to God, pray to God, Worship God. Turn to God. Pray to God. Worship God. God first. God most. God alone. And if we think about this, David has that faith and relationship without the word of God, the full counsel that we have, without Jesus, Messiah, having come yet. What's our excuse? Truly, if we think about it, So let's look at Psalm 11. In the Lord, I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Now again, this could be Saul pursuing him. This could be Absalom's rebellion, unsure of the exact moment. But in the midst of distress, we're going to see he's going to be getting counsel from people. He's going to be getting counsel from the people around him. Because guess what? Distress, what does it cause? Worry, fear. Fear takes over. When we have that, what do we do? Fight or flight. What's it going to be? And then that's where now verse 1 comes in. In the Lord, I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? David starts to speak to the the people who are saying, you got to run. You got to go. You got to get out of here. You got to be scared. It's scary. Run. He stops and he says, in the Lord, personal relationship, I put my trust. Before he begins anything of this psalm, of this song of worship and prayer and praise, he affirms his trust in the will of God. He says, I'm not going to walk by sight, I walk by faith. In the Lord, I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain?" And he's saying to them, how can you say that to me? 
He addresses the counsel being given to them because sometimes that's what happens. We share things with someone that's going on. And I'm not knocking sharing what's going on, but do you run to man before you run to God? Because if you just run to God nine times, no, not even nine times, 10 times out of 10, you're just gonna have peace. But you run to man, this is what's going on. That's so crazy. You gotta get out of there. You gotta leave. That's horrible. That could get so much worse. You could die. There's these things that are given. And if we look at what we saw in James 1.5, we're supposed to let him ask who? God. We're supposed to go to God because human counsel is going to say, flee as a bird. Get out of there. Don't soar like an eagle the way that we're called to. No, flee, flee, run away. Run like a scaredy cat. And I want to be clear, people can have well-meaning advice. Their heart, when they're saying that, I'm not saying they're evil or trying to hurt But that well-meaning advice runs us out of God's will. It runs us out of what the Lord needs. What did we see in the context with James 1? He wants us to be refined, and it's going to be through these trials. They're going to come. Verse 2, for look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The council now, the folks that are saying this, they are saying they're prepping to attack you. They're going to get you. It could be a physical attack. It could be an attack of words, but they're going to get you. You've got to get out of here. This is well-intentioned fear-mongering. You've got to go. Get out. Danger. Danger. Run. They shall ruin the foundations. Run. There's an important lesson in hearing their counsel. One, be careful what advice you take. Be careful what advice you take. Two, be careful what advice you give. And I think within the Christian circle at times, we have to be careful because sometimes it can be, you know, God told me you need to, you need to get out of there. You got to go. How did he tell you? I'm, I'm intrigued. Help me understand that more. How did he actually tell you? I'm not knocking communion with God But nine times out of ten, the person is saying, God told me, you got to run. You must go. It's so danger. I wonder when the last time you opened the word of God was. Because there's a difference between conviction, where it's going to be rooted in his word, and emotion. We can't look at the trials from human perspective. We have to pray to see it from God's perspective. That only comes through deep prayer. And before we give counsel, before we receive counsel, check the foundation of the soil of your heart. Remember what we see in Matthew. It fell and the birds got it. There's the stony ground that we see. There's the thorns that choke it. But there's the good ground where there's a crop. Check the soil of your heart. Human nature in the trial says run. Our culture right now in the trial, it's going to say run. Our culture's gotten very soft and weak. Not trying to be mean. It's reality, friends. We don't want to have discomfort. We don't want to to have struggle. We don't want that. It has to be easy. Don't let your child have struggle. When I was a school administrator, one of my favorite things to say to a parent was, please work with me to let your kid fall flat on their face so that they can grow. And that sometimes there's going to be that. God says, have faith. We need to have the faith. So the trial comes, it's that run, or it's the remain in faith. And why do we stay in faith? 
David gives the answer. Look at verse four. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. He starts with the best place to start. God's on the throne. God's in control. For us with the whole counsel of the word of God, we can think about the fact that that temple has so many meanings when we look at it. Because we're in John right now and we know that they knew of the sacrifices that needed to be done. But Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. That's who's on the throne. That's who we have access to. So we see that. He starts with this. He's on the throne. Then the second half of that verse. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. God sees everything. Again, we looked last week where they're sneaking, they're lurking. Numbers 32, 23, your sin will find you out. You can trick yourself that you're hiding from God, but you can't. You can't hide. You can't get away with anything. Verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. So he tests the righteous. That's the refining. There's going to be some circumstances that are allowed that are not going to be fun for us. But it's refining. It's allowing him to see, come on, grow in me. Draw closer unto me. Come to me more. And then we also see within that, the second half of that, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Guess what? God hates sin. And people don't like hearing that. But that's also reality. God hates sin. And where are we in John 3? God hates sin. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So yes, he hates sin and he loves so much that he won't let you stay in it. He's made a way, truth, and life to be changed. And if you reject it, you're bringing condemnation on yourself. Verse 6, upon the wicked, he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. We know the cup our Savior drank for us, that we avoid that. But David is reminding, there's going to be judgment, because guess what? God is just. He's on the throne, he sees everything, he's in control, and he's just. And then verse 7, for the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. He's going to shine on them and they're going to see him face to face. The righteous, the ones that are his. That eternal hope, the security in God's rulership. He starts and ends this psalm with the same sentiment, trusting in God. Remember how he started? In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Put your trust in God. Put your trust in the relationship with the Lord. This psalm in that trial where you could really feel like it's way easier for me to just give up and run away. It's way easier for me to, I'm going to just get a different job. This is way too hard. I'm going to just move. This is way too hard. I'm going to whatever. You're running. Are you supposed to actually remain and have faith? Are you supposed to say, Lord, chisel me, refine me? So that's the first portrait of battle, where we want to run or we stay in faith. Psalm 12, the mind of man or the mind of God? Man's words, man's lips, or the word of God? Verse 1, Psalm 12. Help, Lord, 
For the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. Now, context of this, again, this is another one where this could have been written when he's in the courts of Saul. It could be a moment because he was a target of jealousy in that moment, unknown yet. But again, there's a trial he's hitting. And right now he says, help, Lord, for the ungodly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. He's saying, God, there's no more faithful servants. God, where are your people? Where are the people who truly follow you? Morality and decency seems lost. There appears to only be a remnant, a few who are clinging to you and believing and obeying. Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill of 2023, does that sound familiar at all? Of our culture today? If we think about our local area, if we think about a larger area, just where are the people just studying the word of God? Where are the people who, who this is enough? I'm, I'm content learning the word. I don't need a spectacle. I don't need you to juggle plates, Vince. Just teach the word. Where is that? We can relate to that. David is, is, is having this feeling. We see Elijah express the same thing in 1 Kings 18 and 19. We see Isaiah express that same sentiment in Isaiah 57. Where, where, where are they? In Micah 7, we see the same sentiment again. And guess what? In 2023, we still see the same sentiment. Take comfort in that because the resolution stays the same, looking unto God, trusting him. What do we do? Look at verse 2. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. David puts it before God. This is what we do. This isn't an Instagram post that David's going furious about. He's going to tweet this. He's hoping some people retweet it in whatever form of Twitter they had then. No, that's not what he's doing. He's going to the Lord. He's asked the Lord for help, and now he's telling the Lord the state and condition of things. He's saying the words of men, they're manipulative. There's evil intents. They gossip. They're backbiting. It's flattery. They say what you want to hear. And then we see this double heart they speak. It's the heart where the mouth is saying one thing, but the heart's thinking something else. He's stating the state of unbeliever, but when we look at it in the context of our world, it's crept into the church, saints. It's crept into the church. It's a word game to please people. It's a word game to keep people away from God. It's a word game enabling, denying God's judgment. It's the fruit of a powerful tongue, wicked without God. Think about Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Proverbs 18.21. The tongue can be quite deceitful. The tongue can be quite harmful. And notice, who does he take his feelings about this to? God. That's the fascinating thing here. When we look at this, he's taking it to God. He's not taking the, the issues with these people to everyone else. He's going to God. Verse 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said, with our tongue we will prevail our Lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? So he gave his issue with it, and then he's pleading to the Lord, cut them off. Have them stop this. Remind God. He's saying, God, look at their self-righteousness. 
They're calling themselves God. Who is Lord over us? There's no submission. Think back to Psalm 10. It's that pride. Think back to the culture. I'm not bowing down. That's what he's pointing to here. Then we see in verse 5. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. He believes in what the Lord will do. This is a prophetic moment where he is knowing the rising of the Lord. He's knowing he's going to come, he's going to do, he's going to judge. And in his judgment, he will keep his safe. He will protect them, period. Man's words means nothing. He stands firm in who? God. The character of God. The justice of God. And then he goes further with this idea in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. He's affirming, he's stating, this is the reality. Your words, God, they are pure. Like silver tried in a furnace of the earth, purified seven times, seven, the number of completion, seven times. David makes it clear in this, the word of God is flawless. Flawless. You need a proof verse that this is flawless, you just read it, memorize it, share it with whoever you need to. But the reality is the wicked sees God's word as worthless. It's flawless, it's perfect, but they see it as worthless. In 1 Peter 1, 24, 25, 1 Peter 1, 24, 25, because all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The promise is in here forever. God's word is perfect. God's word is forever. So in that trial where the words are coming, in that trial where things are being spewed, do you stand on what man says or do you stand on what God says? Do you stand on who the world says you are or do you stand in who God says you are? Ephesians is a beautiful book who reminds us who we are in him. And when we think of the word of God, what's interesting is a lot of people, if you say, do you believe in the Bible? No, I don't. Why? Well, it was just written by a bunch of men. Okay. But do you believe in evolution? Yeah, a man wrote that. Do you believe? It's very fascinating when you think about that. It kind of flips over what they're thinking in some ways because it's just the next time somebody says that, go there, please. Because it's like, well, just a bunch of men wrote it. Well, what do you believe in? Who came up with that idea? Oh, man, told you. Flip it over on its head and then remind, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look to creation. Point them to the Savior. Point them to the God of creation. And put the word of God in front of them. I can't charge that enough. Put the word of God in front of them. Then they've got to wrestle with the word of God. Put that in front of them. Because you're putting perfection in front of them. You're putting something that is flawless in front of them. But again, why does that person who says, well, it's just a bunch of men, what is it? It's pride. And it's not wanting to let go of the convenience. Sin feels good. I want to do it my way. Now with the word, verse 7, you shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. 
you're holding a Bible, you're holding that prophecy fulfilled, which is so beautiful. He's saying, the Lord, you're going to keep your word. You're going to preserve it for generations, forever. You will preserve this, the word of God. This is a beautiful place, and he could stop right there, right? But then we get verse 8. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Now, David had a pattern here. He usually states the condition, and it could be yucky sometimes, but then he looks to the character and faithfulness of God, and it ends on a high note. This kind of, it's not really a high note. It's reality. He ends this in reality, and it's something that we can't miss because for us, we have this right here. second you go out that door, the second you pick up your phone, guess what? Everything trying to pull you to sin is in your face. You can't open an app without an ad popping up that I didn't want to see that, but it just pops up. Or you drive on the highway and there's a billboard. I didn't want to see that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to think about that. It's all around. The wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. David takes this and he says, listen, when it comes to the words of men versus the words of God, stand on the word of God. That is it. It's flawless. It's perfect. It endures forever. It lasts forever. He's going to keep it. And you're still going to have to be surrounded by reality of those that don't want anything to do with that. It's not ending sad. It's ending in reality. And it's why we see 1 Peter where we're told, be sober, be vigilant, because we need to walk sober-minded and vigilant and aware, an anchor in God alone. So we saw the battle of fear or running. Then we see the tongues and the, the, the battle with the mind and the word of God versus the others. Now we're going to see something that we can all relate to in Psalm 13. I've prayed, I've prayed, I'm waiting, I'm trusting. I just don't feel like I'm hearing from God. Nothing's happening. Nothing's going on. I feel like God's just silent. God, are you there? Have you ever felt that? You just wait. Lord, I keep praying. I keep praying. I'm still praying. I'm still praying. I'm still praying. What's going on? Why isn't anything changing? Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? This is anguish. This is pain. David has stated he feels forgotten. David has stated he feels God is hidden. David has stated he's taking counsel in his soul. We're going to look at that. He has sorrow in his heart daily. He feels as though his enemy is exalted over him. This is desperation. This is defeat. This is horrible. Guess what? I know I talk often about feelings. I have some thoughts about feelings. We know this. We can feel. We should feel. I'm never going to say don't feel. But what do you do with your feelings? Do what David does. He takes it to the Lord. He's not relishing in those feelings and just sitting in them and doing nothing. He's taking it to the Lord. Because when we put those feelings to the Lord, we then are making sure we're not going to be ruled by those feelings. We do not want to be ruled by our feelings. Now in this moment, David feels like God's forgotten him. Saints, everyone here, memorize Isaiah 
49.15. Everyone memorize Isaiah 49.15. There'll be a quiz next week. I'm kidding. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. God will not forget his kids. And I share that verse because we have to have our battle verses ready. What did Jesus teach us in the wilderness? It is written. It is written. It is written. People say it's a spiritual battle. It is. Are you holding the offensive weapon? We only have one offensive weapon. It's called the sword. It's called the word of God. It's not called your emotions. It's not called, I declare this, I declare that. Just say it is written and read a verse from the Bible. Put it in God's hands. Put it in the author and finisher's hands. Have your battle verses ready. God does not forget his children. But where is David taking counsel in this? He says that he's taking counsel in my soul. When we take counsel in our soul, guess what? We can feel forgotten. How come? Why? Think about the soul. It holds our emotions. It holds our will. It holds our intellect. So if you're taking counsel in your soul... That means you're listening to your emotions and that means you're piecing together what you can see but you're not resting fully in truth because you're not God. That's why Proverbs 3 tells us to lean not on our own understanding because when we take counsel in the soul, we're on our own understanding and it's not all gonna make sense. So then hear how he prays and sings in verse three. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, Consider, hear me, that plea, Lord, personal relationship, the O that we've talked about before. Enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. I don't want that spiritual death. Enlighten my eyes. That's a prayer we all should be praying every day, every minute. Lord, enlighten my eyes. Help me to see what I need to see. Help me to be who I need to be. Enlighten my eyes, Lord. And the church needs that. If we think about what the church is called to, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, communion, prayer, if we actually stay on those things, guess what? Our eyes will be enlightened because we're anchored in him alone. And the prayer leads to hope. And if we think about it, and when you're in that moment of desperate despair, as he is in this, if you just keep thinking about your despaired state, what do you become? Depressed, upset. But if you turn to prayer, there's hope. And it's not the prayer of, God, change it, change it, change it. He changes you. And we're going to see the way he changes you in a moment as we continue this. Verse 4, lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him, let those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Now in this, David is saying here, I want my life to be an example of your goodness, God. Don't let them have a way to not speak well of you. How often do we pray like that? Do you pray, Lord, let my life be something where people see the goodness of you? And it's not about prosperity gospel because that's where you could go when I say something like that. It's about submitting to him. It's about no matter what the circumstances, showing faithfulness to my King Jesus. I will not be moved because I know the author and the finisher has my life. The Holy Spirit dwells within me, and you think I'm going to crumble, but I will endure through his power, through his grace, through his mercy, through his righteousness. That's what that's about. That's how we need to be praying. Do you pray like that? Then we see verse 5. 
Remember, let's look at verse 1 again. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? And now, verse 5. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. That's a fast change, folks. Do you see that? That's a fast change. Because he's looking, he's trusting in the mercy. And he says, I have trusted. Because it's consistent. We've seen him do it before. And his heart is rejoicing. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountiful with me. And he doesn't even have Jesus to know everything that we know. When I think about that, it truly is, wow. How much more can we truly have that rejoicing? Because guess what? The joy that he has here Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, Paul says. That joy is true joy. Joy from God isn't reliant upon circumstance. That's not how that works. Joy from God is reliant upon who he is. He's Alpha, Omega, beginning and end, author, finisher. We could keep going. And he has built that muscle. David has built that muscle. When he has the woes, go to God. And when you go to God with it, then he can sing because of all and who God is. And then you could say, well, if I were in that state of David, I wouldn't feel like worshiping. One, I'll tell you, worship's a weapon. It's a powerful tool. Use it. Worship is a weapon. In our, in our family, we talk about worship is a weapon. And then in our other thing, as husband and wife, intimacy is a weapon. I'm going there. It's a weapon. It's a powerful tool. When the enemy tries to divide, it's hey, baby, because it's a weapon, because it's one flesh. It's the ultimate smackdown to him. We've got to use what we have to battle. We worship him because he's worthy. We worship him because he is king. He did it all. He is good. He is mighty. He is powerful. And that's why when we talk about worship song, the lyrics matter, saints, That's why we take so much time with our church. Pastor David is still running the helm of picking all the worship songs. And I love it because it's just all songs about him. Sometimes it's great. You read our set list. It's like, Jesus is this. Jesus is that. Jesus is like, amen. It should all be about him. That's why we worship because it is all about him. Lyrics matter. Psalm 13, our strength comes not from us, not our emotions, not our um, circumstances. Our strength comes from God all and who he is. We have to go to him. We tell him how we feel. We plead the case to him. We look to his character and then we praise. We worship. And when you're feeling the lowest, you really need to praise. Sing to who he is. Sing the hymn that we sang tonight, Sweet Hour of Prayer, whatever, sing. So we saw run or remain, fear or faith, counsel of people or uh, turning to God, man's words or God's word, The wickedness is coming at you. We see the strength. You can either have the counsel of your soul, which is weak, or the strength from God alone. And the last psalm we're going to look at, Psalm 14, if you'll give me a little bit of extra time. I won't go too long, I promise. Uh, We're going to see a perspective that amidst the trial types that we can face in 11 through 13 gives us the best hope, eternity. Psalm 14 shows the hopeless soul Versus the hopeful soul. Now Psalm 14 is going to come back to haunt you in a few months when we hit Psalm 53. 
because it's exactly the same minus a few changes in the fifth and sixth verses. But let's look at 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, they are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there is none who does good. I think we can relate to many atheist authors who would just spew that. There is no God. God's not real. God doesn't exist. That's what we're seeing here. The fool. We know of the fool, the name that means fool. We saw that a few weeks ago with Nabal. But the fool here says, no God. When we say no God, that leads to corruption. Genesis 6, 5 is the first time we see corruption in the Bible. And that's the floods are coming. So it leads to corruption. Corruption will then lead to abominable acts, which leads to no good. I could now have us turn to Romans 1, and we could see the parallel there. I think we've turned there enough the last few weeks. We see how it goes. God's known the invisible attributes. He's made it clear. Creation has made it clear. They know. They say no because they want to do their own thing. So he gives them up. No God. It just... God doesn't exist. God doesn't matter. God can't judge. Now, the other piece we have to know with that in our context also is there's also the folks who their lips say there's God, but their heart says there's no God. And Matthew 7 warns us of those. Depart from me, you lawless. Didn't we do all these things in your name? I never knew you. So that is also important. We can't be coattail Christians. We can't just... Assume, well, mom and dad go, or my family member brings me, so I guess I'm good. No, we've got to have our own relationship. That's vital. Now, we see here, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God, they're corrupt, abominable works, no good. Verse 2, the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek. Again, God sees everything. Do you see that recurring thing? He's looking, he's wanting those that want him. He wants those that want to have the relationship to understand, but they're saying no. Why do they say no? Where are we in John? We just saw in John 3, this weekend, 18 to 21, the darkness. They don't want to see the light. They don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to lose their power. They don't want to submit. The sin is comfortable and feels good. I'm not going there. This is an intellectual choice that takes place for the person that says there is no God. It is an intellectual choice to choose moral perversion as a lifestyle. That's what's going on. They just say, nope, non-existent. Now for us, who knows, as long as they're living and there's breath in their body, pray for repentance. Pray for that heart change. Pray for them to come to know Jesus. Because verse 3, they have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. That's what we saw in Romans uh, 132 this weekend where they then just come together. We're on the sin train together. And in our culture today, it permeates. We've, that you can get a flag design. You can get an affinity group. You can get everything. And we can rally all together against whatever it is. Against God. Verse 4. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up the people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? There... They are in great fear, for God is with the generation of righteous. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. So as we're looking at this, they're walking around in moral darkness. That's what's going on. Those who reject, they walk around in that, and they also attack and come for those who believe. 
for those who want to walk in the light. They exalt themselves over. They make themselves untouchable. And guess what? They think they're untouchable. But at the core, God's still there. God's never gone anywhere. He reigns. His righteousness rules. David sees that reality. This is quoted in Romans 3, which has that passage, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because everyone's there. They shame the counsel of God, but we see David remind there's refuge because he depends on God, he depends on the word of God, and he prays to God. Even though the wicked say this thing, those that are rejecting the hopeless ones that think they're oh so hopeful. And then verse seven. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. What does he look to? The hope, the deliverance, the deliverance of Israel. He looks to the coming deliverance. What do we look to? The blessed hope. We have that blessed hope. Psalm 14 reminds us of the vanity that we saw in Psalm 2 and it should call us the believer in 2023, to pray. This, when you read this, it should call us to pray. It should call us that as the Lord is looking down, he sees the children of men, and as he's looking down and seeing everything going down, that he sees a church seeking to know him more, to seek him more, and hearts coming to repentance. That should be our prayer. That's how this psalm should move us for that. And then also, for us with the whole word of God, when we look at this blessed hope, it should be, make us live with an eternal mindset. Because guess what? We have a heart that has received. So in that receiving, it's all about him. In that all about him, this is all to prepare us for eternity. How often do you ask at your table, what have you done for eternity today? What'd you do for eternity today? Because that's what it's about. So the charge for this week Examine how you're doing in the battle beyond the walls of this church. Because again, it's very easy. We come in, we have laughs. This is one of the most loving groups of people I know. We have a good time. But when you leave here, how are you doing in the battle? When the trial comes, do you run in fear or do you remain in faith? When the words come from man, when the words come of sin taunting you, do you take them? Or do you anchor in the word of God? Is the word of God your anchor alone? In the midst of that never-ending trial, that medical battle, that family issue, that job search, that relative who's still sick, is your strength resting in who God is? Are you remembering God has not forgotten you? Are you singing praises to him? Are you trusting his timing? Are you trusting his way? And lastly, do you have an eternal mindset? Do you end the days in your woes or do you end pondering, what have I done for eternity today? Knowing that's your hope in the battle. Eternity is our hope. And in that, we pray for salvation. We pray for people to come to know him. We pray for our church. We pray for the larger church. We pray that people don't compromise on the word of God that we stand on the word alone. But again, in these four little nuggets, we've gotten to see different things that are gonna hit us all. But how do you stand? 
and it's in the context of prayer and praise. Bring the trial to Jesus. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't start with man. Don't start with a self-help book. Don't start with social media. Get on your knees and go to Jesus. That's what David does each time and time and time again. Now, next week, we're not going to get through four psalms. Sorry. We're going to do a deep dive on the character God seeks for us to have. And it's just interesting. You know, I've read psalms so many times in my life, but looking, there's so much in there. There's so much in there. And to see the pattern where we've gotten to look at the pride, now we've gotten to see the different trials and things that we could face. And now we're going to next week look at the character that we need to be building in ourselves. Amen? Or we'll do it now. No, I'm kidding. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. And thank you, Father God, that your word truly is living, Lord. And it is that double-edged sword, Lord. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, that we would all revisit these psalms this week, Lord, and pray and seek you, Lord, and seek the areas where we've taken missteps when we've had trials, Lord, and that we would also be equipping ourselves to face whatever may come for such a time as this, Lord, with hearts that stand and look to you, Lord God, that we would be a people that turn to you first, Lord God, that we would be a people when the words of the world come, we would say, in the Lord, I've put my trust. And Lord, to see in the most despair psalm that we studied tonight, that's the one that had singing unto you. Lord, that when the trial and pain comes, we'd sing unto you, Heavenly Father. I think of the performance, Lord, where we heard nothing but the blood of Jesus. That we would sing that hymn, Lord. We would sing whatever gives glory to you, sings of who you are in our hearts unto you, our King. Remembering the eternal hope we have, the blessed hope. And Lord, until that time, we do your work, sharing your word, that all would come to know Jesus. Help us to be your hands and feet, Lord. Help us to surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good night. Thanks for staying a little longer.